All right, everybody, welcome back to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Um, does anybody here ever feel like in this Mach 5 over-caffeinated, crazy hyper world that's happening right now that you don't have the time that you need? It's interesting. Um, we just polled our listeners and what is the biggest challenge you have right now? And you know what? And you guys answered this and you some of you participated. The number one you answer you had was, you know what? I need to make better strategic decisions. And what is the one of the biggest impediments to that is not having time to get done what I need to do is number two. And in that, here's what I also think is not only do we have more to do in the day that we can handle, we often don't feel like we have people we can give that work to. And a lot of that comes from developing our leaders. So we're going to be doing some work on that, some episodes on that. But today, I'm really excited to have Jordan Rayner here. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here, because my goodness, when uh, my friend Brett introduced me to you and he said, hey, uh, do you know Jordan? He's coming out with this book called Redeeming Your Time. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. <laughs> like, I get, like, Jordan, like people are, this is a huge challenge for people right now. I, and I think it's been... I think the pace of change in our culture and our lives and business with everything that's happened just feels, I don't think it feels like it's accelerated. I think it has accelerated. And I don't think that trend is going to end anytime soon. What are you seeing as you're talking and working with people? This is a perennial problem, John. So I have a similar background as you do. I was a tech entrepreneur for 10 years started and sold a couple of different companies. And as I went through my career, I realized, man, I really need good resources to this end, right? I need to do a better job, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, of redeeming the time because the days are evil in our world and the frenetic pace that we're living is just getting greater and greater. And like you, John, I'm sure you're the same way here. I've read a ton of books on this topic that I love. I've read 45 books in the time management category over the course of my career. But uh, man, I kept coming across two big problems with those titles. Number one, they are really focused on what I would call works-based productivity, right? So time management guru says, hey, you're feeling swamped at work or you're feeling overwhelmed that you don't have the time to do what you want to do. Follow my system, do exercises X, Y, and Z, and then you will find peace. Well, as a Christ follower, John, I believe I already have peace. Romans 5.1 makes that crystal clear. I have ultimate peace with God. I don't do time management exercises to get peace. I do it in response to the peace I've already been given. And that's just a radically different way to approach this topic. The second reason why I decided to write this book, John, is all those other time management books. And again, I love them. But they fail. Every single one of them I've ever read failed to account for how the author of time managed his time when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Christian or not, I think it's really hard to argue with the fact that Jesus was the most productive person who ever walked on earth. And yet I've never read a time management book that accounted for that. That's insane to me, right? And your listeners, you might be listening back. Come on, the gospels don't say anything about how Jesus manages time, but they do, right? We can dig deeper into that in a minute if you'd like. The gospels don't show him with a to-do list or a calendar, but they do show him dealing with distractions at work, fighting for silence and just quiet solitude and, and seeking to be busy without being hurried, right? So that's what this book is, right? Redeeming Your Time is these seven timeless time management principles from the life of Christ, and then mapped to these 32 hyper-practical practices that help us walk like Jesus walked 
here in the 21st century, especially entrepreneurs and leaders like the ones who are listening to this podcast. Well, and I love that perspective, right? It's not about doing all this stuff to get peace. It's coming from a different place. And I think that is, you know, from the time and the word and abiding, getting to that place. And then, so this is going to be an exciting one. And folks, I just want to share with you too a little about Jordan. First of all, your Call to Mastery yeah. podcast is called The yeah. Call to Mastery. Fantastic. And you know what I also I love about you too, and I need to have you mentor me here a little bit. I love that you are just unashamedly a follower of Christ. And in that, you've been able to speak at Harvard, South by Southwest, been a Google fellow, CNBC, Fast Company, Wired. I mean, so many more, you know, just with your background as an entrepreneur and what you're doing in the world. And I just want to let everybody out there know as an encouragement, when you are following God's will and you're partnering with him, what he can do, the doors he opens, the influence he can give you, the territory he prepares for you to be his ambassador to go step into. I got to tell you, I've had some experiences lately too, Jordan. Just God just keeps blowing my mind, which is just awesome. So we worship the God on- that Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And I just don't think most of us actually believe that most of the time. And if we did, I think we'd be praying bigger prayers and leaning more into being open about our faith in a way that's winsome, not aggressive, just in a winsome way that wants other people to know this great big God that we worship and serve. Well, you know what? Maybe that'd be, before we get into these seven principles, folks, and we're going to dig into some of these, but you know what? You mentioned in your book, and this is, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Yeah, that as followers of Christ, that we need to set epic goals. And you just (laughs) talked about it. And you in there, you talk about a a number of different reasons. Could you share a little bit about what that looks like and how you think about epic goals. And I would love to. I was reading in Joshua 10 this morning, the account where the Israelites are in battle and Joshua prays for the sun to stop. And the sun and moon stopped where they were. God suspended them in the sky so that the Israelites could win the battle. That's the God we serve. And I just don't think our prayers uh, are aligned with this and our goals are aligned with this. So yeah, in the book, I share these five reasons why I believe Christians should be marked by our unbelievably big goals. You know, number one, God has the power to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's Ephesians 3.20 that we just talked about. Number two, paradoxically, big goals in my experience are easier to achieve than smaller goals. I raise a lot of venture capital. In my life, I'll tell you what, it's way easier to raise 5 million bucks than it is $500,000, right? Because everyone's trying to raise $500,000. Not everyone has massive vision to raise around a 5 million, right? So big goals are easier to achieve paradoxically than small ones. Number three, big goals make it easier for you to say no to unimportant things on your to-do list. A lot of times when I'm talking with entrepreneurs, they're like, ah, Jordan, I just can't say no to all these things. It's because they're not excited about anything on their professional plate. They're not inspired by it. Their goals aren't big enough. And so they get stuck in the thick of thin things, as Stephen Covey once said. Number four, big goals recruit others to your cause. As leaders, we know priority one is recruiting other people to our team. But here's the thing. A-plus talent doesn't want to work on boring problems. They want to change the world. So you want to recruit A-plus talent, set big, hairy, audacious goals for your venture, for your work. And then finally, number five, and I think in some ways this is the most important, as Christians, we can set the biggest goals in the world because 
it's impossible for us to fail entirely, right? At the end of the day, even if we miss at taking our big swing, we are adopted children of God, loved totally unconditionally, right? And that brings great rest. But I also think that's the truth that enables us to take the biggest swings in the world, because we know that even if we strike out, our father loves us and accepts us just as we are. Yeah. So everybody listening, I want you to think bigger, look at the goals you have and say, you know what, if God was not involved, can I achieve that? And I'm going to be willing to bet the answer for almost all of them are probably, uh, yep, maybe with a little bit of luck, a little bit of hard work, but I actually set some goals I was really excited about. They're huge goals. They were stretched for me. And a friend of mine who's a mentor looked at him, Jordan, he goes, you know, I really think you could do that on your own if you really, really work hard for the next couple of years. So where does God show up in the credit for that, even though it is a pretty big goal? I'm like, well, first of all, I was like, dude, come on. Like, that's a big goal. And my second thought was, you know what? You're right you know what, I need to go back in prayer and actually say, okay, what would it look like if this was a, some supernatural favor was thrown in that area of passion? So think about it from that perspective. And, and to do that, a lot of people, I think we think of what could prevent us from the big goal versus the goal. And I think a lot of that comes back to our time and I'm busy and my life is not designed, it's not optimized for me to actually work in my area of gifting and strengths and talents. And one of the big ideas, the core of your book, which I love, which is interesting, and I want to hear your thoughts, is what I got out of it is Jesus is the solution to this perennial time management problem that we have. Yeah. And when you were putting this together, and you really uh, focused on that as the big idea, where'd that come from? Yeah, came from Luke chapter eight. So Luke chapter eight is one of many accounts of the same story. The disciples are out there on the boat with Jesus and the storm comes. And I love the word that Luke uses. He says, it's Luke chapter eight. He says that the boat was being swamped and the disciples were in great danger. And I literally sat there with the text. I was like, swamped. That is exactly what people say when they are overwhelmed with their time management problems. Have you That's said so this before, true. John? It's so true. And I started oh, yeah, like, oh, honey, I'm, I'm swamped. I'm tired. Oh my God. I'm, I'm swamped. At my week. I'm tired. It's exactly right. And I'm over, like, I'm like on the verge of overwhelm. And I think swamped is the appropriate word. That's it. And I almost called this book swamped. My publisher wouldn't let me, but I loved it. I love the title. So I read this. I was like, hang on a second. What was the solution to the disciples being swamped by the wind and the waves? They didn't do anything. They trusted the sleeping God man in the boat to get up and still the storm. Going back to what we said a few minutes ago, Christ himself is our peace. We don't do time management exercises to get peace. We do it in response to peace. So that's the first way Jesus solves our time management problems, right? The second way, and we've touched on it, but we can go a little bit deeper. Well, right? you know, before you go there, just yeah, think about this to bring that um, analogy to the present. Right. Think about all these guys freaking out. They're in the boat. And here's Jesus just laying down, kind of napping, looking at everybody like, seriously, guys, I got this. Yes. Guys, but I it's made no these different. Waves. I made these yeah, waves. That's exactly I made right. these waves. Thing. He's got this. He's made all these things in our lives. He is in control. The second way he solves our time management problems is he shows us how God would manage his time. 
I love how much we talk in modern day church about the fact that Jesus was 100% God, about his divinity. Of course he was, but we don't talk nearly enough about the incarnation. He was also simultaneously 100% man, right? And we read, we tend to read the gospels for their theology, for their ethics, but we forget that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are biographies of the life of Jesus Christ. And when we read a biography about, I don't know, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, whatever, we're not just paying attention to what they did and what they said. We're paying attention to their lifestyle, to their habits. And when you read the gospels through that biographical lens, I believe you could see at least seven of these timeless time management principles that Jesus used to be the most purposeful, present, and productive person who has ever walked the earth. And as us created in his image, that's the path to, as Paul says, redeeming our time, not for our own fame and fortune, but for the glory of God and the good of others. Yeah, well, let's dig into these. Let me list these out because unfortunately, we don't have time to go through all of them. But folks, this is a book. We're going to be reading this with our team because I got to tell you, my whole team, this is something we talk about all the time and we we always need to get gooder. But the first one is start with the word. Number two is let your yes be yes. Number three, I love this, descent from the kingdom of noise. Number four, prioritize your yeses. Number five, accept your unipresence, right? Which I love. You said, Jordan, is just focusing on that one important thing at a time. I was talking with a friend of mine who studies language and culture. He said, 100 years ago, we did not, in the culture and language, all the way up to 100 years ago, there was not a word called priorities. It was singular. Right. They talked about priority. We have definitely gotten away from that. <laughs> number six, embrace productive rest. And number seven, eliminate hurry. But let's start with number one. And you started with the word. So you're talking about, hey, if I'm going to go add time into my calendar (laughs) to read the word, I'm guessing a large percentage of people listening, finding that time in the morning is something I've had to really focus on. But you know, there's still a lot of people today that's probably, they know that it needs to be, it should be, it would be good, but it's not there yet. And maybe you can help them connect to something that would be really valuable to them in addition to just building this relationship with the father of the universe who cares about us. Yeah. So, and let me make clear, Jesus spent time with the father in the morning and late at night. I don't think God cares particularly when his children spend time with them. What I mean with start with the word is before you do any other time management practice, right? Do this because this is the keystone habit that makes everything else easier. Why? First and most obvious, just time in the word is how we commune with God. It's a good thing. But time management is all about, if we care about redeeming our time for God's purposes, but we don't know what his purposes are or what he says in his word, that's the most unproductive thing we can possibly do, right? Time in the word makes it easier to be reminded of what you said with practice number principle number two, that our yes needs to be yes. Time in the word ensures that we are regularly dissenting from the kingdom of noise so we can hear God's voice. It helps us prioritize what really matters in our lives. See principle number four. It helps us exercise our focus muscles and our ability to be unipresent. See principle number five. It helps to ensure that we get enough sleep so we're not falling asleep on top of our Bibles. See practice number six. And then or finally, in that meeting. <laughs> exactly. That's right. And finally, daily time in the word 
is one way we can acknowledge God so that he will make straight our paths as we plan out our days and our time and ensuring that we have no hurry in our schedules. Lots of busyness, lots of productivity, but hurry is eradicated. So, and listen, we can make quiet times really legalistic in the church. I get that. That's always a risk with anything. But look at Jesus's example. More than sleep, more than food, more than time with his disciples, Jesus prioritized time with the Father. We've got to do the exact same thing. Yeah, I I completely agree. You know, as I was uh, over the last 10 years, as I've been recovering, it's just been this passion to the Bible has become this living text. It's like a love letter written to me of, you know, from Jesus. The whole book, everything about it is about Jesus. Because we want to know who he is and then not, and also make this shift for me from the person I saw in the mirror and everything that I've let in in my whole life and, and be able to pull out the stuff that is not of Christ and understand not who I am, but who Christ made me to be and start closing that gap. And in that, as I really understood who I was, who I was made to be, and understanding uh, a deeper sense of my values and my gifting and my mission and purpose, that is when my yeses really could be a yes. And I had a, I, it wasn't until recently, Jordan, that I developed this framework on a very clear way on what to say yes to and what to say no to. Because when we say yes to one thing, we are saying no to something. It could be that time with the word, with the Lord, it could be a, a, a great marriage. But when you're working with folks, what are some things you have found that help people get to that place where they are saying yes to the commitments, not only that they can fill, but they should be filling? Yeah. Well, listen, on this topic of saying no, I think you're wise to make this connection between what we're saying yes to, because so few of us are inspired by what we've said yes to. So few of us have set really big, hairy, audacious goals for our lives and for our work. So of course, it's harder to say no to the things on our to-do list, right? So in the book, I outline a lot of questions that can help us say no to favors and opportunities. But before you get to that point, yeah, you got to be really inspired by a burning yes deep inside of you, right? That helps you. It, it makes it a heck of a lot easier to say no to everything else. What has worked for you to say Yes or no in a situation where you almost feel like this is expected of me by the yeah. church, by a nonprofit, by a family yeah. member, by a, yeah. you know, a committee at, at work, right? Some of those are Great like, question. cause I'm a people pleaser, right? And yeah. I like to work hard and, but I've gotten to the place where my, I, all of a sudden I look back three weeks on my calendar and I'm like, nothing or very little in there is actually moving me toward the things that God's put in my heart that are important. Yeah. Three questions I like to ask that fall into this favor bucket. Everything you just listed is are things that are primarily valuable to others, right? Three questions I ask before saying yes or no to these things. Number one, am I the best person I know to say yes to this request? If you, John, asked me to come help you build a treehouse, yeah, I'd say no, because I don't know what I'm doing building a treehouse, right? A lot of us say yes, because we're trying to make ourselves look good rather than actually do good. And that's a problem. Mm. So you got to ask number one, are you that's the best real. person? To that's some yes real talk. Right that's there, real, right? right? There you go. Yeah. Number two, is this the most generous use of my time? I'm a huge Tim Keller fan. So if I'm going to New York next week and I text Tim and say, Tim, let's grab coffee 
while I'm in town. The most generous use of his time is not to say yes to me. It's to say no so that he could focus on the next book that's going to serve me and hundreds of thousands of other people well, right? Third question I love to ask, would I say yes to a hundred similar requests for my time, right? Leaders are always looking at, especially the, the proverbial coffee meeting. Hey, I just want to grab coffee to pick your brain. Or hey, I just want to grab coffee to catch up. We always think of it in the context of, am I going to say yes to this coffee meeting? It's actually a bad question because like it or not, every yes or no is cultivating a habit of saying yes or no to other requests with that exact same profile in the future. So when you're evaluating that coffee request, say, hey, would I say yes to this type of meeting with this type of profile 100 times? If not, probably best for you to say no and stop the building of that habit before it begins. Yeah, that's great. Or sometimes you put like an uh, example for me when I first started the podcast and I love our audience and people reach out to me all the time. But what I, and I didn't, I never said no. People are like, hey, can I talk? Can we, you know, I want to run this by. I'm like, man, this is exciting. This is fun. And all of a sudden I realized I like I'm booked from morning till night. So what I did is so I could focus on things that are important to my family and building my coaching business and all the other work that we're doing. I said, oh, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to do, um, I'm going to have three half hour slots in my calendar every week. And then everybody who wants to just chat or catch up or have a little coaching session. So that's something that I chose actively to do. And it was interesting to, you know, start telling people no, but then I had time in my calendar. And I got to tell you, when it created time in my calendar, I'm like, okay, I've created this time. I better steward it really well. This isn't the time to just, you know, relax or chill. Like, what can I do that's going to actually move the needle? Yeah. In the book, I help readers develop a time budget, right, for their weeks. And a big piece of that is doing deep work. As leaders, we need time for deep work built into our calendar. But I also encourage readers to make space for what I call the shallows and serendipity, which is exactly what you're talking about. Just predetermine. Yeah, you know what? Last hour of my day, last 30 minutes, last 90 minutes is going to be for interruptions that come out throughout the day or for favors, like exactly what we're talking about. And making space for that enables us to more easily see those trade-offs and say, you know what? Do I have time on my time budget for this day? Yes. Great. Say yes to it. I'm the best person to say yes to that request. It's a generous use of my time. I would say yes to a hundred similar requests. Wonderful. Plug it into the calendar and keep going. Well, you know, it made me think as you were talking to it, you know what? We are responsible not only for stewarding our, our wealth and our influence, but also our time. Like I was just thinking as you were thinking, like, you know, you get there someday and you're talking with the father, like, well, yeah, John, I had all this work for you in these big goals and these big passions, but you were so busy being busy, being busy. You never really joined me in the, stu- in, in the works that I had planned for you. It boggles my mind that nearly everyone I know is on board with the idea of a financial budget, but almost nobody I know has a regular recurring budget for their time. Mm-hmm. This is totally illogical, right? All of us, by God's grace, can make more money. None of us can make more time. How much more diligent should we be in making sure that every minute on our calendar has a name, that we are stewarding this vapor of a life, as James says in James 4, really, really well for God's glory and the good of others? You know, I'm going to sit down and do that a time budget. You know what? I've done it before. I need to revisit it, especially as God has really expanded some things that we're working on here at Beyond Influence, the Eternal Leadership Podcast. But with that, Jordan, I want to just hit pause just for a second and say, hey, how do people 
The book is coming out October 19th. If you guys are hearing this for the first time, it's about a week from now. If you're hearing this after the 19th, the book is available. You can go get it. But how do people connect with you? Find the book, Jordan. Yeah, so we got lots of free resources in addition to the book at jordanrainer.com. Obviously, you can find the book on Amazon, wherever books are sold. And here's the deal. I'm a big fan and going totally over the top with pre-order incentives on books. So the whole book, Redeeming Your Time, is about walking like Jesus walked. So we're right now giving away a trip for one lucky pre-order to go walk where Jesus walked. We're giving away this epic eight-day trip to the Holy Land. Or a cash prize of equal value, whatever you want, whichever you prefer. So yeah, real simple. Go get the book on Amazon, wherever you want. Then go to jordanrainer.com, just the homepage right there. There's a form, fill it out, and you'll be entered to win. Be pretty cool if somebody on the Eternal Leadership Podcast got to go on this thing. That'd be awesome. Well, They'd have to well, report back. Well, you know, as you're as you're talking, I'm typing in your, your homepage, and I'm going there now <laughs> to buy my book. I have the advanced copy, but I'm buying a book. And by the way, I love books. And you know what? The uh, Some of your other books, I have loved Master Thank of you. One. I yeah. loved Called to Create. Jordan, you, uh, what you do and your message in the world, it is just, it is so uh, accessible. It's so practical. And uh, I got to tell you, I really appreciate who you are and what you're and how you're doing it in the world to just serve people forward. So, so folks, did, I hope you just heard that, like a trip. You know, Donna, my, my wife and I were just talking, you know, one of the things on our bucket list, one of my dreams is to go to um, Israel. It, it is one of the top things on my bucket list. So by folks, imagine you can be part of an amazing community. You can start making some, be excited about reducing the pressure and noise the world throws at you and partnering with the Lord into what you're focused on. We couldn't get into all the principles, but folks, it's all in the book. There's great stuff on Jordan's website. And uh, Jordan, just as we wrap up, any final thoughts from you for all these amazing kingdom leaders that are out there listening? I'll end this on a maybe surprising note, because I think it's a really important reminder for ambitious leaders like you and me, John. Every night I put my young kids to bed. I have a seven-year-old, five-year-old, and two-year-old, all girls. And before they go to bed, I look them in the eye and say, hey, girls, you know daddy loves you no matter how many bad things you do? And they say, yeah. It's like, you know, I love you no matter how many good things you do. And they say, yeah. I say, who else loves you like that? And they say, Jesus. Or my five-year-old theological stickler says, um, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. But the point is, we all need to hear those words spoken over our lives and especially Mm. our work. God loves and accepts you regardless of how productive you are, regardless of how unproductive you are. And ironically, when you really grasp that at a soul level, that's the thing that makes you wildly ambitious to be super productive, not because you need to, because you want to is an act of worship and love of your father. Yeah, in such an important perspective. This isn't about doing more so that we can be loved more. This is not a works-based, you know, at my accident, Jordan, I was in God's presence. And the unconditional love I felt when I first was in his presence, I'll never think because my body was crushed. And the, the first thought I had when I felt it, and this was personal, this was between Father God and John, was that I am not worthy of somebody loving me like this. And what I knew 
that I knew that I knew in that moment that anything and everything I'd ever done or not done, good or bad or otherwise, in the past wasn't even relevant to the love God has with me right now in the present and the relationship he has with me that he wants me to join him in. And I got to tell you, my mind was blown because I had never in my life experienced that. And what you're talking about is let's redeem our time, right? And guys, go look up uh, the verse Ephesians 5.16. We didn't get in there, but I just want you to go read that verse, Ephesians 5.16. Let's redeem our time in response to the grace and the love and the gift that we've been given to go do bigger things, kingdom things, and make a mark and live a life so the use of our life outlives our life because that is what we are designed for. So Jordan, with that, thank you, brother. Thank you, John.